told you it's been coming for a while now, and uh, here it is. So, Lord willing, it'll be a blessing to you. Um, we are going to be looking at uh, adventures in Acts. We're going to be looking at some some of the things in the Book of Acts, kind of an overview. Uh, this will be a several part series. I don't want to just go straight through, or we'd be in it for over a year, kind of like we are in Genesis right now. So, I uh, don't want to do that, but uh, we're going to take at least 10 or 15 weeks and uh, look at this beginning of the Book of Acts. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. If you haven't already guessed, you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter number 1. And uh, that's where we're going to get our start. We won't go too far into the book of Acts this morning. It's a little bit of an introductory uh, thing to cover as well. But uh, before we even start, let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability we have in this country to study it uh, freely without fear of persecution or arrest. And Lord, help us to never take that for granted. Lord, help us to uh, seek to see how your word can change us this morning. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of of Acts is essentially a glimpse into the beginnings of the church, the bride of Christ. Thank you, Brother Joe. Um, It's a vital book that teaches us many doctrinal and practical truths to live by today. By following examples given in the book of Acts, we can clearly see how the church ought to function and how believers ought to live. This book's filled with great wonders and and, uh, great uh, great works and wonders wrought by the Spirit of God. Through the men of God, it contains many miracles, many trials and difficulties, examples of boldness and power, as well as times of great distress and fear. And uh, so it's got a little bit of everything. Through the lives uh, that are recorded in the book of Acts, we can learn a great deal about what God desires from us, as well as what God is capable of doing through us if we're willing. That's one of, one of the things about the stories in the Bible. They're not, they're not there just to show us what God can do. They're there to show us what we can do if we'll, if through God, if he'll, or what God can do through us if we'll let him. Uh, so often the, the battle isn't, uh, the, the, so often the battle with people is to get them to feel like they can do anything for God. My wife's giving me some hand signals here. <laughs> I can't interpret them, so <laughs> it's too important. She'll come tell me. Uh, most Bibles give uh, most Bibles give the Book of Acts the title "The Acts of the Apostles." It's right, right in line. Uh, while it's not incorrect, a more fitting title would be "The Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles," because we know that the uh, that God has the power, not the apostles. Good example of that. I had to turn to Acts chapter one, but before we even read there, let's turn to Acts chapter fourteen. Give a good example of the fact that it's not the men, it's the Savior within the men. Acts chapter 14 and verse number 8. We'll get to this chapter at some point in the study. The Bible says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. That's a pretty rough situation to be in. Uh, especially when you consider back then they didn't have disability and, and all those different benefits you have today. Uh, so this man is in, in a rough shape. Verse 9, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped up and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Ly- uh, Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest Jupiter, uh, uh, the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. 
which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. So here, here the apostles themselves say, you know, we are not the, the cause of these miracles. We are not the ones with the power. It's God that has the power. Don't worship us, worship God. And uh, there's other examples we can use there as well, but that's uh, sufficient to, to show. Uh, this book is not just look at what the apostles did, look at what Paul did, look at what Peter did. Um, though that's there, we got to always keep in mind that it's the Lord working through them. Uh, not that they were some amazing person. I'm thankful for the honesty in the Bible. Uh, the honesty that the Bible shows us uh, the faults of the people in it, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, and so we, we know that it's not them, it's the power of God through them. It's believed that the penman of the book of Acts was Luke, the beloved physician of Colossians 4.14. Uh, though regardless of the penman, we believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and that holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The book of Acts is God's word, and as such should be taken as absolutely true. Amen. Uh, that's not something... It's not something we take lightly around here. We, we believe the Bible, every word of it, and we don't make apologies for the Bible. We don't try to fix or correct the Bible. We let the Bible fix and correct us. Amen. Yeah. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's jump right into this thing. Got a good baby name coming up for anybody that's shopping around for a baby name. The former treatises have I made, O Theophilus. That's a, that's a pretty good one, right? Theophilus. Uh, people, oh, you're shaking your head, Miss Linda. That, that'd be a wonderful. You could you could call him Theo or Ophelus, you know, whatever, depending on the mood. Some of these Bible names are just you're my wife and I were talking about Rhoda the other day, and uh, and Rhoda, you know, that'd be a, it's a wonderful story in the Bible. So excited, she couldn't let let Peter in the door, ran off so happy about it, and, and uh, so I don't, I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> oh, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, I want you to uh, notice a couple of things. First of all, that this book of the New Testament was not written to a particular church, like many of the epistles, but a particular person, this Theophilus. I'm not a scholar. I don't know exactly who Theophilus is or was, and I, I, I don't know that anybody does. Maybe they do, but... I always keep in mind 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You're saved. Uh, all of this can apply to you. All of this, all the whole word of God, there's, there's something in it out of every passage that we can learn and that we can be benefited by. I understand context. We take that very seriously. Um, but all of it is profitable. And so the book of Acts uh, is definitely something that is profitable and necessary and written to and for the church of the Lord. And that's us. Hopefully that's you. If you're, if you're here and saved this morning, that's you. Now notice in verse 2, Christ did not give suggestions to the apostles. He gave commandments. And so often, we tend to view God's Word as a list of things that we can do if we feel like being better Christians. I'm, I'm good the way I live right now, but if I want to get better, I'll do what the Bible says. Uh, but that's, that's not how it is. They're commandments. They're things that are expected of us regardless of what we want. We're supposed to do the commandments. You, know, it's, it, it's, you think about with, with children. 
You, know, you give your, your child a list of chores that they're supposed to do on a certain day, and if they say, well, I don't really, I don't really care to be a better child than I am, so I'm going to only do half the list, and some of you probably had children like that, um, but, uh, but that's not, that doesn't change the fact that it was a commandment. It's expected of them. They're supposed to do it. They're required to do it. And it's not an optional thing right. in order to please the one who gave the commandment. So let's look at a couple of verses uh, about the commandments of God. Of course, uh, let's turn with turn to John chapter 14, just a few pages back in your Bible. And then we'll also be going to Matthew chapter 7 in just a moment. John chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 7. A lot of times you talk to people and you tell them what the Bible says about something and they just, they're just content with their level of Christianity. They're content with wherever they are in their walk with the Lord and they don't have any desire to move forward and they don't realize it's not really up to us if we're, sa if we're saved. We are not our own. We're bought by Christ. We're supposed to obey these commands of the Lord. John chapter 14 and verse number 15. Very simple, very, very <coughs> important verse. Christ speaking says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I've heard people say, uh, as an excuse for not keeping God's commandments, well, I just love the Lord, and that's good enough. <laughs> and and it's, it's, well, you don't love the Lord. If you're, if you're saying, right. I love the Lord, but you're saying that as an excuse to go on in your sin, then you obviously don't understand what it means to love the Lord. Because right. he gave us a very clear definition here. What it means to love the Lord is to keep his commandments. And so I'm glad he loves me even when I mess up. I'm glad that there's grace and mercy and all that. But if I'm going to show my love for Christ, the way that I do that is by obeying his word, doing what he says. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 24. Good old... Uh, Good old story here. Whenever there's a Bible song to go with the Bible story, you know it's a, you know it's a good one, a common one. Uh, Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-four. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Very simply here, Christ says there's a difference between people who hear my words and people who hear them and put them into practice in their lives. You, you, you caught that at the beginning there in verse 24, whosoever heareth these things of, sayings of mine and doeth them. And so we have a category of people that are listening and obeying the words of Christ, and then in verse 26, everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not. So here's another category that's still hearing the words of God. They're just not applying them to their lives. So I would say both of these categories fit church-going people. They come and they hear, and then they decide whether or not they're going to actually do what was told them from the Bible. And, uh, and it, it, it's, we're all guilty of it, from, from the preacher down to the, to the three-year-old in the Sunday school class. We're all guilty of, of hearing something in the Bible, and whether it, whether we blame our forgetfulness or our rebelliousness, we just don't do it. We don't put it into practice, and that's why so often we have to uh, preach the same passages and the same topics and the same things often to keep uh, to put ourselves in remembrance right. of those things. Right. Because uh, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of people are well-meaning Christians who want to be 
better for the Lord, but they just forget. <laughs> they just need to be reminded, hey, you're not supposed to do that. Hey, you're supposed to do this. And, and it's not that they don't want to. They just, you know, some people that are newly saved, they don't know any better. And they just need to be reminded again and again and again. And uh, we need to be, uh, that we need to be not just listening to the words of the Lord, but doing them. So Acts chapter 1 and verse number 2 tells us that, that Christ, when he spoke to his apostles, were commandments, not just suggestions. Verse number 3, to whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion by many invaluable proofs, uh, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, that word infallible means not liable to fail, certain, not capable of error. And so uh, he, for forty days, Christ after uh, after his resurrection from the dead, served as un he served as undeniable perfect proof that his ministry was of God and that he was who he claimed to be. He was the I am of old. He was God manifest in the flesh. Lazarus lived again. The widow of Nain's son lived again. The ruler's daughter uh, rose from the grave, but uh, Christ was not raised from the dead by Peter or James or Andrew or any other person. Christ defeated death and rose victorious by God's power. In fact, the resurrection of Christ was a main topic of the sermons of the Apostle Peter in the book of Acts. You, you see in Acts chapter 2, go ahead and turn there with me, Acts chapter 2 and verse 24. The Bible says here, For uh, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. It talks about uh, talks about God raising up Christ and losing the pains of death. Chapter 3 and verse number 15, Peter preaching again, and he says in verse 15, um, well, verse 14, But ye denied the Holy One and, and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Chapter 5 and verse 29. Chapter 5 and verse 29. Then Peter, the other apostles, answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So again, God raising up Christ. And then Acts chapter 10 and verse number 40. Acts 10 and verse 40. Here again, him God, him God raised up the third day and shewed him openly. Now, I, I point to these because the resurrection of Christ is clearly very important to the early church. And therefore, it should be very important to our churches today. Um, the resurrection of Christ is what separates us from Islam and, and all the other religions that have dead founders and dead gods and and we have a resurrected, risen right. Savior. Amen. So it ought to be a common topic of conversation among Christians, but it just doesn't seem to be that way anymore. It just doesn't seem like you hear very many different preachers preaching about the resurrection, and now there's so many theories about, about trying to explain away the resurrection that he didn't actually rise from. It's just it's nonsense. Yeah. If you believe the Bible, if you believe the, all the, the preaching of the Apostle Peter, you know very clear. Five times, I believe, in the book of Acts, four or five times, he preaches about the resurrection of Christ. Says, We're witnesses, eyewitnesses, of this event, or of this uh, of resurrected Christ for 40 days after his passion. I like that wording there. 
And you turn with me back to Acts chapter 1. We'll, we'll move on to verse number 4. Acts chapter 1. We will end up moving faster through the book of Acts. I'm just, just laying some groundwork here, I guess. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he, uh, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so now, many denominations believe that water baptism is needed for a man to be saved. This false teaching has led millions to believe that they were saved simply because they got wet. Right, right. Um, yep. That's a very bad thing. I, I, I've Recently, I've talked to several people who, who just have, they don't really understand why it's important, the differences between beliefs, the differences between denominations. It's important because we don't all preach the same message. Mm -hmm. And, and if you're going to the wrong church and hearing the wrong message and you get baptized and the preacher says you're saved now, then you have a higher likelihood that, that you are going to die and go to hell not knowing the, go the gospel. Because when somebody preaches to you and witnesses to you, you say, oh, no, I'm already saved. Right, yeah. I've heard it over and over again. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, Can I tell you about Christ? Oh, I'm a Catholic. Okay, well, can I tell you about Christ? No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I, right. I took the sacrament. I did this. I did that. And, and uh, even even Baptists, can I tell you about the Lord? Oh, I, I got baptized when I was a kid. Okay, well, that's nice. You haven't been in church in 40 years. Can I, can I tell you about the Lord? And so it's very important uh, to distinguish. You know, here, here even in these verses, uh, <clears throat> verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. The, the water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Ghost are two completely different things. We've, we've talked about that before when we talked about baptism. We won't do that all tonight, but um, water baptism today is an identifying of the new believer with Christ. It's buried under the water as Christ was under the earth, risen from the water as Christ was resurrected from the dead. Uh, believer's baptism is an important step of obedience for the Christian, but in no way, in no way affects whether or not someone is saved. And, and there's so many places we could go to prove that. The baptism of the Holy Ghost and John's water baptism are clearly given here as two separate things. If, if water baptism was needed for salvation, why did Christ get baptized? Better yet, if water baptism was needed for salvation, why did Christ never baptize a single person? Right. Yeah. Even though he was the way, the truth, and the life. Right. So it, it doesn't add up, but I, I think a lot of people like the idea that baptism is necessary for salvation because it's easy to get dunked under water. It's hard to repent of your sins and trust Christ. Right. Uh, and it's not hard, but it's sometimes hard for, for the stubborn hearted. Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And I, I like chapter 6, or verse 6. I, I really do. I mean, there's some good, like verse 8 is the Great Commission, wonderful verses. But I like verse 6, and I'll tell you why. is because these men have been with Christ since the baptism of John. Over, over three years, well over three years, uh, and they have seen Christ heal the sick and cleanse the leper and raise the dead and teach and preach, and in all that time, Christ never claimed to be here on earth to set up a kingdom. Right. He, he always was looking towards the cross. In, in fact, look, look at John chapter 6. John chapter number 6. Um, he had several opportunities to 
to create a kingdom here on earth and, and did not take them. John chapter 6 and verse number 13. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. The Bible says, Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. If he was here to set up a kingdom, why would, why would you walk away from that crowd? Uh, that it doesn't make any sense. And then Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. I'll, I'll show you another uh, another point of place where, where <laughs> we, we are reminded of the fact that he could do whatever he wants really while he's here. In Matthew 26, we're at the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, <laughs> Peter has just done what so many of us sometimes do and acted before, before thinking what's the Lord's will here. And, whipped out his sword and, and uh, chopped off the servant of the high priest's ear. And uh, sometimes that's where, you know, some of us say, oh, all right, hoorah, way to go. And then rebuked him for it. But um, verse, uh, verse 53, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Now, you know from the Old Testament what one angel can do right. to an army of men. You think about 12 legions of angels, he could take over the whole world. Amen. Christ doesn't even need an angel to help him. We know that because we know from Revelation he comes back and with the power of his voice he, he wipes out the armies. And so uh, we know he doesn't need it, but we know he's got that power and that ability. At any time he could set up this kingdom. But look at verse 54. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. He said, if I set up a kingdom, if I come here and get rescued and I just set up a throne and take over, if I do what you all have wanted me to do from the beginning and kick out the Romans and get Israel on top again, if I do that, how can the scripture be fulfilled? What scripture? Well, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, which I'm sure you, many of you already know exactly where we're going with this, but there's some scripture that needed to be Fulfilled by Christ that would not have been fulfilled if he had uh, taken this, the opportunity to make himself a king here on earth. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Uh, that, that needed to be fulfilled. Sure. And I'm glad that Christ did not set up a kingdom couple thousand years ago while he was on this earth because that would have done absolutely nothing right. for me and you. He had his eyes on the bigger prize. And uh, these men, they make the same mistake that we often make and, and they dwell on the physical and the present and not the spiritual and the eternal. He, he will someday come and, and set up a kingdom, but at that time he was here to do much more than become a king in a kingdom. He was here to become the way, the truth, and the life. That's right. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so 
Lord, Lord help us to focus on things that have eternal consequences. It's an election year, so everybody is concerned with getting their proper king on the throne of America. They're all, everybody's so concerned about the kingdoms of this world, and, and it's just, it's, sometimes I just want to shake people and say, wake up and remember, none of this matters. Yes, it's going to be important to us for the next so many years who gets elected. Yes, it will greatly affect religious liberties in America, I'm sure. Yes, we have the right and the freedom to vote. We should take part. I'm not saying don't take part. What I'm saying is don't spend 90% of your free time telling people about Republican versus Democrat and none of it telling people about saved versus lost, Jesus versus right. the world. Right. We need to focus on the main thing first. I've told people before, when you're witnessing stuff, don't don't bring up anything until you've brought up Christ. Because you don't know that person. You walk up to that person and say, hey, you know, uh, we, we had a rule at the U of M games. We would take the kids to the U of M games and hand out the tracks. And I told them, you cannot wear team colors for either team's land. Because I didn't want any reason for somebody to walk up to them and refuse a track because they're a Michigan fan or a Ohio State fan. Which... They would have happened. There were there's some crazy people out there, but but I, the whole point was, the whole purpose was, we are here for the purpose of getting the gospel out, not the purpose of promoting some football team. Right. And and it's the same thing when we're out witnessing to people in the streets and stuff. It's it, yeah. If you if you agree about uh, Trump or if you agree about Obama or if you agree about whoever or whatever politically, that's fine. But the first thing you ought to be uh, promoting is Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I know I've said that before, and I'll, I'll keep saying it because we need to keep being reminded of it. Uh, not wrong to have opinions about other things. That's that's not wrong at all. But but we ought to make sure the first, the most important thing is the first thing that we talk about. Acts chapter one verse number seven. Acts chapter one verse number seven. I I really like this verse, especially right now. I raise your hand if you have a Facebook. Page. Some of you, I know you do, but you're not raising your hand. Maybe you're embarrassed. I don't know. But you have probably seen, like I have seen in the last several months, increased cries that right now is the end times. And that this country is God, and this country is Magog, and this vaccination is the number of the beast, and just so, so much. And I can't. I can't start into that this morning, or, or I'll just ruin my mood for the whole day. But but there's so much of that going on right now. I really enjoy Acts 1-7. I'm glad it's in the Bible. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now there is nothing wrong with waking up in the morning and saying, I hope it's today. I, I, as a Christian, I hope that's what you do. You wake up and say, Lord, I hope you come back today. But to spend a whole lot more time than that worrying about every little detail of Revelation throughout your day, there's nothing wrong with studying the Bible. There's nothing wrong with, with studying Revelation. There's nothing wrong with being able to put together the pieces and connect the dots. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But just like with the political angle, all of that and you having that information doesn't lead anybody to the Lord. Right. You know, salvation is what we need to be talking about. If you can somehow use Gog and Magog and Russia and China to lead somebody to the Lord, then hey, you know, have at it. I'd love to see that that work sometime. But uh, I just I see so much of this focus on on all these things, and and I, I love I 
love the one of the first, somebody online put, everybody's freaking out about the end times, and here I am sitting here as a pre-tribulation believer, just yeah. like, hey, I really don't care who the Antichrist is. I really don't care about the number of the beast. I, I'm not gonna. Right. I'm not gonna be affected by it. Yeah. And uh, and so we we got to keep the important things important. Uh, if if you look at we won't for time's sake this morning, but if you look at Hebrews chapter one, you can see that it's been the end times for a while. That's right. Uh, we're we're in the end times. We're in the last days, and, and you know I, I get that. Where it could happen any moment, and it could have happened any moment in the seventies. And it could happen any moment next year if he hasn't come by then. And so, again, we got to stop getting so caught up in all these other little things and focus on the important things. And uh, if that's what's important to you, I understand that. But, but the Lord and salvation and, and eternal destinations of souls, that's what's most important. Right. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here's the big one. Great commission, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. Now, notice here, the disciples asked Christ in verse 6, Will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They're, they're looking forward to, expecting, all right, we're going to get rid of the Romans, we're going to enjoy our own world dominance here. That's what's about to happen. Verse 7, his response you don't need to know of the times and seasons. And then verse 8, by the way, right. <laughs> that's not going to happen. But what you need to do is go out and start telling people about me. And then we'll, we'll see here in, in verse 9. And well, Christ, he, he makes very clear the priority. His priority. It's, it's not the earthly kingdom. It's not the times and the seasons. It's go and tell people about me. Why? Well, <laughs> verse 9 gives them... I never really realized until recently how depressing verse 9 must have been for the apostles standing around. Because they're, they're expecting, I mean, he's risen from the dead, and he's been with them 40 days, and he's been doing these things and teaching these things, and, and they're probably expecting, all right, any day now we're going to wipe out the Romans, and we're going to you know, have our earthly kingdom. And then verse 9 comes along. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Well, so much for that plan. Mm -hmm. There he goes. Now, he's doing exactly what he intended to do, but sometimes people who follow Christ don't really pay attention very well to what he wants. We think about what we want, and then he does what he wants, and we're like, wait a second. That's not what I wanted to happen. And uh, it's, it's funny. I, I've seen that happen in my own life, where you know, the Lord does something. I'm like, you know what? That was your plan all along, and I just ignored it, and now I'm, now I'm reaping what I've sown. But... We know already of how the, how the resurrection separates Christianity from all other religions with dead gods and dead founders. Um, the ascension now indicates to us not only that he is alive, uh, but that he is active. And of course, we know from other places in Scripture some of the things that he's doing today. Hold your place in that, uh, Acts 1 and turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter number 7. This is uh, something that the Lord is doing for us. You know, I'm thankful for the work he did on Calvary. I'm thankful for the work that he continues to do. He's not just up there resting and relaxing. Right. He's earned some rest and relaxation, but he's not taking it yet. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number... Well, let's start in verse number 24. But this man, is speaking of Christ, because he continueth ever hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, 
seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's, that's his task right now. That's one of the things he is doing right now is making intercession right. for you and for me. Amen. He is able, I love the wording there, he's able to save to the uttermost. Yeah. And there's no part of me that isn't saved. Right. I'm thankful for that. I am holy and completely saved today and I'll be, I'm holy and completely saved tomorrow. I've been saved to the uttermost by one who never fails and never falters and never changes. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful for that. And so uh, the, this situation, Christ, you know, he didn't simply defeat death and then grow old and die again. He defeated death and, and stayed around his disciples and proved his, his being alive again and, and taught and, and did many things, I, I'm sure, and, and then he ascends up to be with the Father. And so now we as Christians can say, my God is alive. Uh, there is no body, there is no tomb of Christ to have worshipers go huddle around with candles. There is none of that. Right. Uh, because we have a risen Savior. And then Acts chapter 1 and verse 10, they do probably what we would do in that situation, remembering what they were expecting in verse 6 and what happened in verse 9. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Well, these guys, they're, they're staring at him going up into heaven, and probably, and you know, they might be thinking, what? I thought he was going to do this. I thought he was going to do that. And there he goes. Or they're thinking, wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, depending on who you are, or your personality or whatever, you might be thinking, wow, look at that. And he's going up into heaven, and, and as they're watching him ascend, they don't even, they don't even it, to the way of wording, it seems like they don't even get to watch him get all the way out of, out of sight, and they say, hey, what are you doing? Don't waste your time standing, staring up into heaven. Get to work. He gave you something to do. And so, I think it's a, you know, you, you look at that situation and the reaction of those men, and, and I see a lot of Christians that are in similar situations where they're standing still, and maybe they're looking towards heaven and thinking about the Lord a lot and all that, but they're standing still, and they're not witnessing, and they're not doing anything, and yeah, they... they they love the Lord and they like church, and but they, they just their Christianity is at a standstill. They're not growing, they're not producing, they're not trying to reach out, and so they're saved, yes, that's wonderful, but they're just staring off into heaven hoping for the Lord and, and talking about, you know, it's so bad now, I can't wait to get to heaven. And there's nothing wrong with any of that as long as you're still doing what right. he wants you to be doing. Yeah. And so these 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 men in white uh, white garments standing by, they didn't even let him get out of sight. They said, "Hey, aren't aren't you guys supposed to be somewhere doing something?" And so you know, I, I hope Christians look up every day and say, "You know, I, I hope he comes today. I, I hope we have that." But I hope we don't stare at the stand there for an hour staring at the sky, thinking about that when we're supposed to be witnessing and, and doing our best to, to serve the Lord. And so we this this entire it wasn't intended, but I guess this entire first. 11 verses has kind of got that theme this morning sure. of just focus on the important thing and uh, and that is the great commission that is getting out there and telling others about Christ and, and who he was and what he did and now at, at the end of verse 11 there's kind of a switch you know the Lord has ascended now and we go from uh, we go from focusing on him and, and his final commands to uh, the church of God from, from the rest of this chapter and on through the book of Acts and so that'll be what we look at next week. Uh, but I just I, I just want to say, you know, as we close out this lesson, 
from all that we've looked at this morning, if you could only get one point, get the point that he, if we, if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. And his commandment is to go. His commandment is to preach and to teach and to reach all nations and the uttermost and your neighbor. Sometimes we, we say, well, I, I give commissions. All right, that's good, but who's going to reach your neighbor? Right. Who's going to reach the person at the grocery store? Now, I'm thankful Miss Linda had that contact at the grocery store. We were able to get set up there, and, and many people come through yesterday, and we were able to witness to many, many people because of that. And that's a blessing. That's, that's wonderful. That is the church in action. And I'm so thankful for, for you, church, having that kind of a servant's heart. All right, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, Lord, and it. Please be with the service to follow. Lord, uh, we've been looking forward to these revival meetings, and uh, so, Lord, I pray please have your will and your way done in them. I uh, pray please move on every heart in the way that you see fit. Lord, we love you. We thank you for it. We just simply pray. Amen. Amen. Now, as I give these uh, out, there is a memory verse, of course. It's Acts 1-8, the, the Great Commission verse, and there's an assignment. The assignments of, of these, obviously, I can't make you do your homework. Uh, so they're just something that's suggested in order if you want to do that. The assignment is to make a list of ten things you would do if you knew Jesus Christ was coming back tomorrow. Explain why you would do them and then purpose to actually do them today. So 